TBRI. 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 Trust-based relational intervention. TBRI is an attachment-based trauma-informed intervention that is designed to meet the complex needs of vulnerable children. TBRI uses empowering principles to address physical needs, connecting principles for attachment needs, and correcting principles to disarm fear-based behaviors. While TBRI is based on years of attachment, sensory processing, and neuroscience research, the heartbeat of TBRI is connection. Hello, and welcome to the TBRI podcast. You're listening to Season 3, Episode 4. On this show, we talk all about trust-based relational intervention, or TBRI. We talk about different elements of the model itself, and also about how TBRI is applied in various communities of care and practice. I'm Emily Pickett, producer of the podcast and communications coordinator of the Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development, and I am delighted to introduce today's episode. Today's guest is Raya Shalarska, a TBRI practitioner and research assistant here at our institute at TCU. Raya is currently living in Fort Worth, Texas with her family while she pursues her PhD in our research lab, but her home is in Ukraine. Since the war broke out in February of 2022, Raya has used her trauma training, her clinical experience, and her research background to offer help to her community back at home. Our host, Sarah Mercado, sat down with Raya to talk about the trauma of war and what Raya is doing to help. We've also added some additional resources in our show notes with information about how you can follow Raya online and learn more about the work she's doing. I think I speak for both Sarah and myself when I say that we are so happy that you got to meet Raya today because she is extraordinary, but the circumstances for this episode are absolutely heartbreaking. We stand with Raya and we stand with Ukraine. This conversation was so special to us, and we hope that you are as inspired, encouraged, and moved as we are after hearing today's episode. Hey, Raya, thank you so much for being here. I'm truly honored to be a part of this conversation with you. It's my pleasure, Sarah. Thank you. To um, start off, you know, I have to just give you, like, just full disclosure, this is probably the first interview where I've been a little bit nervous because I feel uh, this topic as, you know, you and I talk or or even text maybe almost daily. And so I just have such a big heart for for you and what you're enduring. So I feel a little bit nervous. Um, But let's start with just before we get to the war, let's start a little bit talking about how the heck did you find us? How did you find TBRI? What, what brought you here? Because you now have, and we'll talk more about it, but a much deeper history with us than that, that very beginning moment. So how did you get here? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, uh, we become a foster parent, me and my husband and our biological kids, in 2006. And then I started to have those questions, what the heck is going on in our family? And um, (laughs) so I had so many questions, you know, why children behave the way they did, uh, why the way we parented our biological children did not work with our foster children. So all those questions led me to um, 
look for answers and to see what's out there and what is known about uh, trauma, what is known about uh, children with history of trauma. So basically, in 2013, I've heard about TBRI. My colleague told me about this intervention and she told me that I have to go and be trained because it's a game changer. So, and this is what I did back in 2013. Um, I got here in Fort Worth, I got trained, and I can tell you that my life got divided like before and after. So, life before TBRI and life after TBRI. So, that's changed my life and changed my approach of uh, parenting, changed like the whole game. Mm. I, I do wonder how many people can say that in my household. It's we have pre-purvis and, and post-purvis. Uh, there's like a marker mm-hmm. in our family of when we began to use TBRI. So I think that's it's it's the gift that we all received, right? Is that we can actually kind of we know a moment where things began to shift. And I apologize, I should have asked you this first. We know you're here in the states in Fort Worth right now, um, but where is home? Uh, I was born and raised in Ukraine, and I lived there all my life. Uh, In 2017, I got here in Fort Worth to get my master's in developmental trauma here at TCU. And in 2018, I got back to Ukraine. And so now, last year, we moved back so I can pursue my PhD degree here. And if our our listeners are are like curious about how incredibly smart Raya is. That means that she came to the U.S. from Ukraine and got her master's in developmental trauma, which is a ton of stuff about the brain, and her second or maybe third language. I don't know where English falls in the languages you speak. Um, And now she's back to do it again with her PhD. So I just... There are things that you know and understand that you learned in my first language that I don't always know and understand. And I'm just always so impressed by how you've made all of that happen so successfully. And then that you take it back just to serve people. I mean, it just seems like your entire world has been set up to serve people. And I just wonder, uh, what was that period of time after you got your uh, master's degree when you decided to come back and get your PhD? Because I remember when you told me you were applying to come back and I was so excited. Well, first of all, I had no idea how I did it and how I'm doing it because <laughs> it is hard and only by grace of God, I guess. Um, so it just, you know, I, ha- I always had this passion for children for those who have no voice, no protection, no security, no safety. Um, Because once I was a child like this, I was a child. So I, um, you know, it's just hard for me to say no when I see a need and I know how to answer it and how to meet it. And so this is why I'm here because I get answers. Then I have, I serve people and I serve kids and I get more questions, then I need to get answers. So, and this is, uh, I'm glad that that you cannot get anything more than PhD because I would come back again. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we might figure out something, for you, a reason for you to come back because we, man, we sure do like having you here. And I think an interesting thing, th- there was something that happened 
after you got your practitioner status that, um, you know, led you here to get your master's. But then there was this thing that happened, and I don't know exactly what it was, that led you to start literally knocking down the door for us saying, you have to do practitioner for Eastern Europe. Like, we need help over there. And there's one thing I found about uh, particularly the, the area of Eastern Europe that in some ways, it's like the the countries are so unique in their culture and their personality and and just how they do things but it's almost like those barriers don't exist you i mean i was in latvia and all of a sudden i look over and there you were and it seems like you you find the people no matter where they're they are geographically that are wanting to help kids and you serve them and so we ended up having uh for people that don't know we had two practitioner trainings in 2021 and really raya because of you because you were like you have to do it and and I don't know if anybody knows Raya, but it's hard to say no to her because just like she said, when she sees a need, she's driven to meet it. And it's it's the profound impact of that is is really immeasurable. Um, well, Sarah, you just really make me blush. And I just want <laughs> to tell that it's all like a teamwork. And also there is a big reason why it's all happened it's because you said yes you know like kpcd said yes we will do tbri practitioner in europe um so when i uh, got trained in tbri and i got back home and i started to use it and i was impressed that it works and i just really wanted to bring this intervention to ukraine and to russian-speaking population um so we did translation of the book, we did translation of uh, curriculum and DVDs, which has helped to reach a lot of people, caregivers and also professionals. And it was kind of a logical um, next step to do to be a practitioner training. And I'm so glad that we did it last year. It's just really uh, amazing. I think we trained more or like around 200 people within both practitioners, right? That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it was, it, it was a monumentous occasion uh, for sure. And it's one that I think just like you said, there's this moment in time where our family switched from one thing to the next. I think we have uh, 200 other practitioners that are serving families that are in that very same place right now. And so if we can kind of shift, because I think that's really important information as we begin um, to talk about the war and what's going on there. And that experience for you um, is how those practitioners are interacting together with what's going on too. Um, and so I would, you know, you came here, you had, I know you had one, one research idea in mind or one general idea that you were going to hone in on for your PhD. And I know that shifted since the war broke out, but um, I think probably, I don't know this for sure, but I would bet to say that impact wise, just based on our interactions, that might be the smallest impact on your world is shifting. What would really be the most, the, the biggest project most people in your seat could, could have trying to earn their PhD since the war broke out, what has it been like for you um, to try to, to A, just be a Ukrainian living here in the States right now? And how, what are the days look like for you? 
So um, I will answer the first part of your question about how it affected my research or my um, topic of interest. Uh, I originally came here to study internal working models of attachment. Basically, you know, how we act, how we build relationship, how we see this world, it's all shaped in during our the earliest interaction with a caregiver, first days, week, and months of life. Um, and so I really wanted to see, you know, how to help the caregivers to get better or to be able to bring the healing to their children's life. And that was and still is the interest of my topic, the topic of my interest. Uh, when the war broke out, I just immediately started to think, because I'm like a practical person, I want to do something that will have effect um, on a practical field, at least in some way. So I started to th think about how can I change uh, my research in the way that it will benefit people of Ukraine and it will benefit um, all those people who try to help them. And the first world, word that came to my mind was resilience, because resilience really helps you to go through hardships and to survive and to be okay. And also resilience connected with um, the attachment figure, it's connected to attachment and it's really important that you are having someone in your life that you can lean on, that you can count on, that you can receive the comfort, the support, the uh, security. So I think I will add this variable to my research for sure uh, okay. to see how we can strengthen caregivers, how we can strengthen the kids. Mm -hmm. oh, it's so important. And I, I have to wonder, like, also, I know I've asked you another question, but um, if I can just interject, because of you, you've been through the practitioner, you understand attachment style, attachment styles and your own attachment style because of that process. And I wonder if, um, you know, we've talked before about both of us doing work on our attachment styles and, and working towards earn secure. And do you feel like, and we're going to talk more about what you're doing, um, day in and day out, but do you feel like you've been able to address some of the hardships in a different way because of the work you've done uh, towards a more healthy attachment style? It's a good question. I'm surely in a better place thanks to TBRI, thanks to the journey of healing I've started um, nine years ago. And I can tell that, yes, it is a journey. It is not happening overnight or over months or over a year you know like it's a journey so yeah and because of that i can do better i can uh i have a better mental state my mental health in a better place and it's extremely hard to go through those hardships and having those people that you can lean on that offer you their support and you just really you know like with your attachment representation, your internal working model is basically the way you see the world, the way you interpret what's happening around, the way 
you uh, perceive, you know, like the reality, it's really connected. So, and having earned secure attachment style or like getting on the way to it, it really helps me to not take things personally and don't sink in depression because honestly, the war is, I think, the most terrible thing that can happen mm-hmm. to a country or to to people. Mm-hmm. And you have to really have this core or this someone or something you can lean on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, let's shift. And um, would you mind sharing with us what it's like for you um, on the daily? And I know that, you know, that's changed a little bit in my mind from the beginning, because I think this has gone on already longer than we expected. Um, so what is, what does life look like for you day in and day out? Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, uh, Dr. Program was hard enough before the war started yeah. and um, it was hard. And then the war started, like it was a big shock. Um, the priority shift, priorities shifted uh, significantly because you cannot focus on anything else but on survival of your family in Ukraine, of your friends in Ukraine. Mm-hmm about their safety, about their well-being, um, just being worried about their life. Are they alive or, or not? You know, and all that terrifying things connected to war. So it was really hard to stay afloat. Um, and I'm so grateful for the grace that KPCD had shown me, you know, with my advisors and um, all the colleagues in the KPCD, they really show the grace. And um, and that's why I was able to go through the darkest uh, period of my life. And it's still hard, but now I just function from the point of hope, from the point of optimism Mm -hmm. and this is what i tell myself because otherwise uh, i don't know how to live this life with all this terror and nightmare happening day to day so with when the war started like first couple days i just literally spent all my day on the phone checking with all the people i know with my family and every morning and every day just includes the conversations, phone calls, text messages, checking on people, especially if you know that certain areas are being bombed, like was bombed or hit by a missile, you just want to check in with people you know there. So a lot of uh, time I spent on the phone communicating, then, of course, we were trying to help people to get a safer place for our family, for our friends, uh, for their families, for startups, the families we served. So it's evacuation efforts and humanitarian aid. And then a few weeks later, we all know that PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, it's something that develops uh, months after traumatic events and can 
really disabled people and children, uh, families, you know, from having a relatively normal life. So it's also something that I added to my to-do list, daily to-do list is uh, EMDR sessions, uh, counseling over Zoom, uh, just supporting the people that suffer from the war, traumatic war events the way I can. And, and those people that you're helping are in Ukraine right now, correct? Yes, yes. Most of them in Ukraine. Some of them are refugees um, that fled Ukraine and they're in neighboring countries. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so much. You know, I, I remember those first couple of weeks, Raya, that um, I think somebody sent me a, a, a link where we could watch kind of the sunrise in Ukraine. I don't know if you remember this. It seems like a long mm-hmm. time ago. And and that was the point when here it was about 1030 at night. But in Ukraine, it was about 530 in the morning. And and then oftentimes you would text me to say you had heard from your family and that they were still living. And I can remember thinking this is just such a pivotal moment. Every single night, I would think we just 1030, like 1030. And I would wait to hear from you. And um, and I'm on the complete outside of that. And so my heart just broke and continues to break as I think about what is it like for people that are, this is their home. And literally every day they're kind of waiting for sunrise. And I think one thing that I know for sure that I already knew this, but it hadn't been highlighted before the war is just like you talked about the incredible resilience and determination of Ukrainians. And I'm seeing it lived out every single day by you. And I think that that's one of the blessings of, of knowing you and, and getting to witness you go through this. Um, What, uh, you know, the refugee crisis is something that is overwhelming to so many people. And so I think we have sort of a split of how do we continue to help and support the people that are still in Ukraine? And then how do we support the refugees? And you were actually on a panel at TCU a couple of nights ago, and I got to go listen, which was um, exciting for me. Um, But one of the professors said, and I apologize, I don't remember the war he related it to, but he basically said right now there is many refugees with this war in Ukraine as there were over another war that was 10 years long. So we have a a crisis and it's not temporary, right? Like this is going to take a lot of rebuilding. Um, And I know this is one of the places that I think that your work towards getting us the 2022 or pardon me, the 2021 practitioner trainings. um, To me, it makes so much sense now the timing of that, because now we see practitioners literally around Eastern Europe working together to try to help and support. But if people aren't connected to a practitioner training or or to a practitioner, can you give some insights as to how do we best serve people that are literally, I mean, in a panic state, leaving their war-torn country for safety? If, If you had just, and, you know, take as much time as you want, but if you had some some things that you would encourage people that are, they want to help, you know, people are showing up to help, but sometimes we don't know what helps and what hurts. So do you have some tidbits to share mm-hmm. about that? 
Yes, I think I do. And I want to bring you as an example, you know, with checking on me like daily and with watching sunrises over the webcam in, in Kiev, you know, just like being there for someone who is going through terrible things, either they're like refugees or uh, they're just trying to survive in a war zone or they're just sick worried about their family um, in Ukraine, you know, just being there for them, checking on them and just communicate and sending the message, you're not alone. I'm here. I'm with you. It is hard, but uh, you're not alone. And I think this message is something that really helped to move forward. It's really kind of give you kind of the strength, um, the resilience, and you can just day, like hour by hour, day by day, just go uh, move forward. And the worst thing that can happen to a person besides that war and death, it's just loneliness. Mm -hmm. And those people who flee their country, who flee their homes, they just go to, like, for example, Poland or Germany or Romania, you know, and they don't know anyone there. Mm -hmm. They don't speak the language. They, they just lost, you know, and... As a rule, it's just them and their kids. And it's really scary, you know, to be isolated and be alone. Be alone in the crowd, you know, when the, you know that you're not seen, you're not heard, you're just one of the, like, millions of people who left Ukraine, you know, like, for today, as today, statistics, we have, like, five million people who fled from Ukraine. Oh, uh, Goodness. And about 10 million who were, like, um, displaced internally. Mm -hmm. And, of course, just just being there, supporting them, be showing kindness. And, you know, like, the stress, the war, it really makes your window of tolerance kind of really narrow. You know, like, you can be rude, you can um, just be irritated easily and stuff like this. Just be understanding to that and show kindness, show that you're there in any way you can show it, you know, like uh, if you can be there in person um, or if you can send the message or you can send the post saying kind words of support, that's, that means more than you think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think about like some of our um, TBRI practitioners that are in Poland right now are um, leaning on kind of the skill set of building felt safety, because when you don't share a common language, when, you know, even, even the people receiving the refugees, that is just fear inducing too. So we know what fear does to just like you said, like all of a sudden we're, we're our window of tolerance diminishes greatly. And so I think that, that common thread of building felt safety has been something that we're seeing them lean on a lot of just having food available. And we see people even um, learning how to cook Ukrainian food, having a schedule, having a lot of ways to be hydrated and to get rest and to help support the kids so that the adults can get rest and just kind of trying to operate through that, that lens as a way to, um, just grab on a few things they can do that maybe won't be overwhelming because as helpers, 
which most of us are that would be listening to this podcast, we want to do so many things. But when we sit here, there's not a lot to do. And even when we're in front of a refugee, sometimes they just need us to be and create that space, it seems like, in my mind. Um, and, And like you're saying, the smallest, sometimes the smallest things make the biggest difference. Um, yeah, I totally agree that felt safety is a key, you know, and it's hard to provide safety when there is no predictability, right? Right. right. For example, if we had a schedule of bombing in Kiev or in Ukraine, <laughs> right. we, we, it would be easier to survive, you know, because sure, you know that sure. you're safe, you know, like from six to eight and then sure. from eight to nine, you have to go to bomb <laughs> yeah. shelter and then you can go on and live your life. You know, like those schedule or predictability routine, this is some something that gives you this sense of safety. Right. So, and that's why it's so important to try and provide it for refugees and um, for people because this is something they lost for or didn't have for a long time and something they lost the control over uh, their lives over their safety over the stability and predictability so this is the first thing that should should be restored right right if you were um, to think of ways that people could support people that are still in Ukraine from here. You know, let me back up just a little bit. When we were talking the other night after the panel, I was trying to understand if I had had any experience like what you're doing right now, anything that that made any sense to me. And all I could think about was um, uh, September 11th. And we talked about that being everything that it was horrifically, it it was horrible, just like these bombings are. And it stopped on September 11, 2001. Um, And every single day, Ukraine is experiencing that over and over and over again. And if there's, you know, we always want to be able to do, but if there was something that, that you could recommend for people listening to this that just want to do something, um, is there anything you would recommend to them? You mean uh, people in Ukraine or uh, for uh, our listeners in the States? Let's talk about our listeners in the States um, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I think that Mm -hmm. the the people in Ukraine have their hands full. Yes. Okay. Um, I think that... The worst thing that can happen when a nation or a family experience the tragedy is that the others, they turn away and say, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, just remembering and bringing awareness and talking, knowing about this tragedy and just saying, it's not okay. We are against that that is not acceptable, that your voice matters more than you think. Uh, I would just ask not to be quiet, not turn away and not forget. Uh, Because we have this, as you said, Sarah, every day over and over again, you know, for 51 day now. And that's lots of pain, lots of destruction, a lot of, lots of tragedy 
And again, we cannot go through this alone. We cannot stand alone. We need you to stand with us. We need you to use your voice and help us be strong. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, Raya, I think that sometimes we get caught in the trap just as humans of thinking, we're going to remind you of something you don't want to think about. Has there, has there been a moment in the last 51 mm-hmm. days that you haven't been thinking about the war? Uh, it's, it's really kind of part of my reality. Right. Honestly, um, it's so much tension and pain and sense of loss and grief and just like terrifying feeling of helplessness. Uh, it's hard to function, you know, on a daily basis. And honestly, I just want to go to bed uh, at night and forget about that at least for some period of time. But I still wake up during the night with this shocking feeling that we have a war, that is shocking feeling that right now, like my people, innocent families and children are being killed. Um, this is something that it's really hard to be okay with. Um, but, and I understand that, you know, like we cannot function in the long run being in acute stress. We need to, to take care of ourselves and often people create their own bubble. Um, it's just coping strategy. Often people, they just try to, like stay away from the bad news as much as possible and just live in their bubble in their own kind of reality without um, hearing and seeing all the evil on a daily basis. And I understand that. But once in a while, we have to do reality check and we have to voice our opinion on that mm-hmm. and say it's not okay. Stop it. Well, you, I- yeah, because if you see... Yeah, if you see a child being bullied or being hit and beaten up and you just stand there and watch and being quiet because the, the bully is pretty big, you know, you cannot stop him by yourself and you're just being quiet because you don't want to get in trouble. But it's not just you. Like, there's a lot of people. There is a big power, you know, like, I by myself, I cannot do much, but us together, we can stop evil. I believe that if each of us will raise our voice and stay and say like, it's enough, mm-hmm. we can stop it. I absolutely believe that. And I think that for those of us that don't always know what to do or what to say, um, simply using our voice to tell people that you know, I mean, Raya, you're in the middle of your own trauma and you're doing EMDR with other people that are in the middle of their own trauma. And I feel like the least that um, we can do is not be afraid of the vulnerability of reaching out and checking in. And and I know for, I mean, you and I, like one of my main questions often is like, are you getting sunshine? Are you walking outside? Are you getting fresh air? Mm-hmm. Just little stuff, because I think sometimes it's easy to get so fixated on what's going on that we forget to get up and get away from the computer or away from what's drawing us in. Um, but I'm not going to lie to you. There are days when I'm like, I don't want to trigger her, but you're already triggered, right? You're already in the middle of it. So there's, there's, um, 
you know, I, I have to remind myself that I can't check in and make things worse. Right. It's using my voice. No, you is not cannot, make you cannot make things worse by checking on someone, you know, like you, right. it's just like when you live in this kind of like horror and terror and just, and, and someone like, reach out to you and say hey are you okay i feel your pain i know you're struggling i know like it's hard i'm here you know that's just really give you the sense of you know that you're not alone that someone cares enough to reach out and yeah, i think it's a beautiful thing you know like, to show your support and to show your presence and to show that someone that they heard and they're seen and uh, that your kind of your heart aches with theirs. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Raya, my heart absolutely aches with yours. And um, I thank you for the ways you've shared your journey with me and that um, it's been an honor to um, witness your resilience because I think you really are just a picture for all of us here of that Ukrainian resilience. I wanted to give you um, an opportunity, if you would like to say something uh, to the folks in Ukraine, in Ukrainian, I'm not sure if you would like to do that or not, but if you would, we'd like to give you that opportunity and space to do that now uh, before we wrap up for today. Thank you, Sarah. First of all, I want to thank you personally, you know, like for all the support, for reaching out daily, for just really, showing that you care and that you are with me and with my family. And it really means a lot. And um, I just can tell you that you're the person who supported me the most. And because of you, I'm in a better place right now. So thank you very much. Regarding my people in Ukraine, we have that saying from our like most famous poet um, Taras Shevchenko he says which means fight and you win so and I just want to tell it to my people uh, because we need to fight we need to fight uh, against trauma against terror against aggression we need to stick together and be together because this is the way we can win being together uh, and i believe that the world will stand up with us and they will stand with us stand with ukraine and just get this gatherness this unity you know this is the power and we cannot go through this nightmare by ourselves solo it's not possible we only can go through this together. And so I just want to encourage everyone to uh, fight their battle whenever you are. You know, we all have different battles. Just fight your battle. Don't give up. Unite. Stick together. And I believe that we will win. Borites i poborete. Fight and you will win. The TBRI podcast is produced by the Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development at TCU. 
To learn more about TBRI and the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit child.tcu.edu slash podcast.